And um, last week, we went through seven verses, and we, we talked about uh, the greeting and in Paul's very first words to the Roman church. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to go through verses 8 to 10, but there is quite a bit in these verses. And so, um, as, as we're getting ready to read this scripture, let me just say a couple of things. Uh, the Apostle Paul, in his letters, um, he begins his letters almost uniformly there's only one exception uh with kind of a word of thanksgiving and and he he thanks god in the introduction to all of his letters um and so uh, as an example here we are in romans if you were to move if you were to look at the book of ephesians you would see in ephesians how uh, paul is thanking god for different different things that the ephesians had done and and he he was just thanking god for them. So uh, throughout his other letters, uh, that's what happens. The, the only exception is the book of Galatians. And uh, he doesn't do that in Galatians because he opens up right away and starts addressing their heresy. And so um, that's what he's doing there. But in Romans, he has the greeting and then immediately he transfers into this word of thanksgiving. Okay? And um, this is, this, is, this is it in Romans, verses 8, or excuse me, chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. This is Paul's words of thanksgiving for the church in Rome. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this morning, Lord. And God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we know that, that when we read the scriptures, we know it's true and we know that it is your word. Father, we pray that this morning that your spirit would work in us and transform us. God, we pray that we would leave here more like Christ than when we came. Father, I pray that, that as we're going through this, that I would decrease and you would increase and the picture of Jesus Christ that we have would increase. Father, we pray that you are the focus of this service and worshiping you is our goal this morning. Father, we love you, we praise you and worship you. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. Amen. So here are Paul's words of thanksgiving for the church in Rome. Okay, and, and let's just open up. We're going to go verse by verse. There's only three of them, but there's a lot in these verses, which is why it's going to take us a really long time to get through the book of Romans. Okay, in verse 8 alone, Paul teaches us about prayer and thankfulness and faith and theology and love and more theology all in one verse. Okay, this is deep and it's rich. Uh, so Paul's going to teach us uh, about prayer. He's going to teach us uh, all about these things. Um, and again, it's all in one verse, which really is a prayer report. He's telling them about his prayers. Okay, and uh, we're going to start off by just pointing out, uh, I don't know, four or five things, maybe six, uh, in verse 8 alone, and then we're going to move on to verse 9. And so first, notice that Paul begins his, this prayer report by speaking of thanksgiving. Paul is thankful. First, I thank my God, is what he says. Right? He begins this by being thankful. And what we, what we can get from this is, essentially, we're reminded that to be a believer is to be thankful, to be full of thanks, because to be a believer means that you are a recipient of mercy and of grace. 
And those who have received that mercy and grace and forgiveness are inherently thankful. It doesn't matter what circumstances they find themselves in. Right? So to understand, if you're a Christian, you understand what God has saved you from and, and what you actually deserve and, and how you've not received that. You don't deserve or you've not received what you deserve, condemnation. You've received grace. You receive what you don't deserve. You've been adopted into his family. You are headed for glory to be in his presence for all of eternity. And the Christian understands that and the Christian is constantly in awe and constantly just full of thanks because of that. Christians can find, them, Christians can find themselves facing serious health problems or, or difficult family situations or, or work problems that would make anyone want to pull their hair out. But they're thankful people because Christians know that no matter what they face in this world, they have never gotten what they actually deserve, which is condemnation. God has always given them better than what they deserved. As a Christian, I know that my sins warrant condemnation. I know that I deserve to go to hell. I deserve God's wrath. But as a Christian, I know I've not received that. I'm not condemned. I'm adopted into his family. I'm loved by the God of the universe. And so I've not gotten what I deserve. I've gotten grace and mercy. And Christians are aware of that. Christians are inherently thankful people. It, it doesn't mean, uh, it doesn't mean that, that they don't go through times of struggle. It doesn't mean that Christians don't have doubt or even serious pain. But fundamentally... That, that thanksgiving never deserts them. Christians are always thankful. They're thankful people. They're grateful people because there are people who fundamentally um, really are recipients of grace. That's who we are. And this brings up really a missing component to much of our prayer life. As we read Paul saying, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. And right away he says, I thank God. He's talking about his prayers. I thank God. That's something that's missing in a lot of Christians' prayers. We fail to thank God. I heard one pastor describe it, that as soon as you, have, uh, as soon as you open up for prayer requests, you hear an organ recital, meaning, you know, fix so-and-so's liver and fix so-and-so's kidneys and fix so-and-so's heart and fix this and fix that. Well, what that is, what, what it's saying is that we're constant when we pray, we're saying, God, you need to fix this and fix that and fix this problem and that problem. Not just health issues, but God, you need to get on this and you need to do that and you need to be a little quicker with these things because there's a deadline coming up. And as we pray, we're just giving God a list of things that he needs to do for us. And when we do that, when we do that, we're missing out on a great component of a prayer life. Gratitude. God, thank you so much for life. Thank you for a spouse who loves me and cares for me and who is enjoyable, enjoyable to be around. Thank you for children that are wonderful. Th thank you that I live in a place where I don't, I don't have to fear arrest to worship. Thank you for a home that is warm and a place that has cold winters. Thank you for air that I can breathe. Thank you for not condemning me upon my first sin. Thank you for saving me. Look, there, there are an infinite number of things that you can thank God for. An infinite number. And Paul begins with thanksgiving. 
And I have to say that a lack of thankfulness is a lack, uh, or really is a sign, and I don't know if this is even a word, but it's a sign of gracelessness. Okay, because those who are forgiven much, they, they don't just forgive much, but, but they're thankful. They're, they're full of thankfulness. And so Paul begins by thanksgiving, and, and that really is a lesson to us. That's the first thing that we see at the very beginning of verse 8, is that Paul is full of thankfulness. But the next thing we're going to see is that Paul is full of faith. Paul thanks God for the Romans' faith. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Some Christians can accept that salvation is a gift and that that grace is a gift. But they absolutely deny that faith is a gift. They'll, They'll say faith is something that we do which prompts then God's grace and salvation. But if that's the case, if that's true, why is Paul thanking God for the faith of these Roman Christians? Why is Paul saying, I thank God for your faith? Why is Paul not thanking the Roman Christians for their own faith? You see that? If the Romans' faith is entirely produced from within the individuals, he would be thanking the Romans for their faith. But he doesn't do that. He says, I I thank God for your faith. The answer to that is because God is the cause and the source of their faith. Even their faith is a gift of God. Salvation is a gift of grace. And even, even the faith and repentance which we manifest in response to the gospel message itself are works of the Holy Spirit and acts of grace. Our faith is a gift from God. Paul thanks God for their faith. And really, this is proof that that faith is a gift from God. This is demonstrating that. It's not just that salvation in general is by grace. It's even that faith is an act of grace. And so he sees the root of their believing, of their trusting in God himself. It's very clear here. He thanks God for their faith. That's the second thing we we notice in verse 8. The next, the the third thing, though, Paul in his thanksgiving is actually reflecting uh, for you his love of these Christians. He loves these people. He loves this church in an honest, genuine, incredible way. He's praying for them, not because he has to, not because he feels obligated to. He's praying for them because he loves them. And think about how incredible that is. If you know the context of, of Paul, You know what his life entailed. Just a few years before he wrote the book of Romans, Paul was oppressing the Christian church. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was Saul of Tarsus. And Saul was kind of like the, uh, Saul was the one who was nominated and chosen to eradicate Christianity uh, from the earth. So the Sanhedrin and the high priests and all the people that plotted to kill Jesus Christ and have him crucified, What they did was they appointed Saul of Tarsus and they they made him the one that was going to go and crush the church. And Saul of Tarsus loved that job. He hated Christians. In fact, there's nothing that he hated more than than Christianity and Christians. 
And Saul was on his way to persecute and imprison Christians on the way to Damascus when he met Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ absolutely changed him and transformed him. He crushed his pride. He saved him and called him as an apostle all at once. And just a few, few years later, he writes this book, knowing that this man hates Christ and hates Christians. And next thing you know, he sees a light and he's blinded and he's crushed and, he, and he's humbled. And what do we find? We find that he's writing the book of Romans. He's, he's saying, yeah, I pray for you, I thank God for your faith. And he's, he's saying this because he loves them and he cares for them. Think of how incredible that is. It ought to cause us to pause and thank God for his work, not, not just for the scriptures, but for the apostle, for what he did in the life of the apostle Paul. That this man would now be thanking God for Christians. He can't even get out a prayer report without saying, I, I, I just want to say I regularly, I regularly thank God for you in my prayers. I know we've never met. I don't know you. I've never been there, but I thank God for you. That's, that's a hallmark of, of every believer's. And Paul here expresses his own special love for the Roman Christians. But remember, he's never met them. He doesn't know them. And yet he still loves them. And so this, this needs to, we need to pause again. And this warrants a question. Do we have this kind of love for one another? And I, I'm not talking about Christians around the world. Do we have this kind of love? Remember, Paul had never met these people, but do you have this kind of love for the people that you worship with? For the people that you call your brothers and sisters, the people in this room today or the people that were here an hour ago. The, the people in your church, the one that you've been called to minister with and minister to. Does your love manifest itself in, in, in our fellowship, no matter what our differences are? Whether we have different backgrounds or there's a huge age gap. Whether we come from different places, whether we are in different places. Or all the other things that can separate us according to, the, to this culture and make us different. Does your love and, and does the gospel unite one another? Do you genuinely, honestly love one another? Do we have an overarching and, and abiding, honest love? And I don't just mean a, a sentimental love that, that we sort of like one another or tolerate one another or we know that the Bible says we have to love one another so, so we'll claim that we do. Do you genuinely, do we genuinely love each other? Do you have a real love that desires to, to live life together in the good times and the bad, the easy and the difficult, to care about one another because we're Christians, because we know that Christ died for us? We need to think about that. We need to consider that. There's another thing I want you to see just in, in verse 8. And it's here. Paul is um, conscious and offering his thanksgiving to God through Jesus Christ. Do you notice that? First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. That's what he says. Those are very intentional words. I thank my God through Jesus Christ. 
he prays confidently to God the Father because God, God is Paul's heavenly Father through the work and person of Jesus Christ. So there's a lot here. I, I know that it's a short little statement. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Right? That's short. Through the Lord Jesus Christ is short, and it seems simple, but there's a lot in here. And, and what the implications are is Paul is saying, I lift up this prayer of thanksgiving to you in dependence upon Jesus Christ, the one who is at the right hand of the Father, so that the Father hears this prayer of thanksgiving through his Son, Jesus. Okay? Uh, so, in other words, what Paul is saying, he's saying, when I pray, God hears my words as though Jesus were speaking them. Do you understand that? God hears my prayer as though Jesus himself is speaking and is praying them. As though this is Jesus' prayer. Consider that for a moment. That when we pray, we pray through Jesus because our faith is in Christ. We rely upon him. We're completely dependent upon Jesus Christ. So I thank God, I praise him through Jesus so he hears my prayers through Jesus Christ. And so when we pray, uh, as Jesus commanded you to pray with the desire for the kingdom of God and in submission to the will of God, your prayers come to God the Father on the throne of grace as though they came from Christ himself. Because every prayer that goes to that place from God's people goes through the one who reigns at God's right hand, Jesus Christ. That's incredible. That, that's absolutely mind-blowing. Right? I thank my God. We can all thank God, but I thank my God through Jesus Christ. My prayers are sufficient not because I'm great. My prayers are sufficient not because I have some sort of direct line to God that no one else has. My prayers are sufficient. My prayers work. God hears my prayers because they are through Jesus Christ, because it is only through Jesus Christ that I can come before God the Father. And not only does God hear my prayers, but my prayers are as though Jesus himself are praying them. If that doesn't take your breath away, I'm not sure what will. Because that's, that's an incredible truth that the scriptures lay out. Paul is in the midst of this little prayer report. He's saying, I thank God through the Lord Jesus Christ through the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's, he's not finished. He tells us specifically what he's thankful for. He says that he's thankful for their faith and for the fact that their faith is proclaimed throughout the earth. You know, um, what you're thankful for, um, what you're thankful for tells you a lot about yourself. Okay, well, what a person is thankful for tells you a lot about them, Right? Among other things, it tells you what you think is important. If you're thankful for food, then you obviously love food. If you're thankful for your family, you, you, family, you love your family. If you're thankful that, you know, the Broncos won today, then you're, you think that the Broncos are important. I don't happen to think that, but some people do, right? What you're thankful for shows what you, uh, what you think is important. And look at what Paul is excited about. He's excited about the fact that these people are believing in the gospel, but not just that. He's excited because he knows 
that in Rome, the capital city of the world, there are believers worshiping Jesus Christ, trusting in Jesus Christ. And their faith is so clear that a testimony is being sent out not only in Rome, but around the known world about this church in Rome, about the believers in Rome. See what he said? First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. They're well known because of their faith. People are talking about the Christians in Rome and this excites Paul. This excites him. People are saying, have you heard about the Christians in Rome? They're, They're even there. They really believe they're right under the emperor's nose and they believe with, with, with everything they have in Jesus Christ as Messiah. Who would have thought that, that in the Roman capital where, that there would be those who would believe in the Jewish Messiah? But there they are. And word about them is traveling around the world. And it, it, it excites Paul, not just because of the influence this church this church can have or, or claim throughout the world because of where they're at, but it excites him because their faith encourages him. When you look around and you think of the things that encourage you about your brothers and sisters in Christ, when you come to church and you're encouraged at church, and you think about the people that you worship with, is their faith one of the things that comes to mind that you thank God for? Do you thank God for the faith of other people? Do you thank God and say, God, I thank you for so-and-so. I, I thank you so much for his faith. Thank you, thank you for so-and-so. She, she's a tremendous encouragement to me through her faith. But you know what convicts me in reading this is that Paul is thankful for the faith of the Romans and he's never even met them. He's never been there. He doesn't know them. He's heard about him, and he knows what's going on there, and he's obviously paying attention to, to what they're doing. He's already excited about it, but he's never been there, and he doesn't know them. Are you excited about the signs of your brothers and sisters here who are growing in their hunger for their faith or in their hunger for the word or in their hunger for righteousness? Does, it, does that excite you when you see another Christian who just starts growing spiritually and, and they just can't get enough of the scriptures, they can't get enough of righteousness or learning more about Christ? Does, it, does that get you excited and encouraged? I hope so. It excited the Apostle Paul. What causes you joy and thanksgiving tells you a lot about what you care about and a lot about who you are or what you are, really our prayers and friends, our prayers for our friends and our brothers and sisters should be full of thanksgiving. So that's verse 8. Verse 9, we're going to go verse 9. In the beginning of 10, we see the Apostle Paul takes an oath. Verse 9, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of the Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. He takes an oath here. Um, Paul reports of his faithfulness and in, in intercession or praying for the Roman church. He's, he's taking an oath. He says, God is my witness. This is an oath. I, I pray for you constantly. God is my witness. I pray for you constantly. 
Okay? Now, uh, we, we need to pause here because there are a lot of people who know their scriptures and, and who know the Sermon on the Mount, and they'll go back to the book of Matthew and they'll say, well, Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. And they say, well, wait a minute, Jesus says that Christians should never take oaths. They ought to just let their yes be your yes and their no be their no. And so the problem is the Apostle Paul takes an oath here. And so what's, what's going on? Is, is Paul sinfully taking an oath? Are the scriptures contradicting each other? What's going on? And uh, actually, um, Paul takes several oaths in the New Testament. There, there are several times when this happens. This is just one. Uh, he says, God is my witness, he says. Um, and here's, here's how we navigate this. Jesus' point was not that oaths are always forbidden, okay? Uh, but that we are not to use them frivolously, or we're not to take them lightly, and we're to mean what we say when we take them, right? We're not to use them to cover up a lie or to cheat someone. We're not, we're not supposed to say, yeah, I'll give you this much money, and I'll take an oath. I promise you that I'll pay you back when we know we're not going to, right? That's what Jesus is forbidding, He's not forbidding oaths as a whole. And so what we have is the Apostle Paul here is taking an oath, but then we have to ask the question, why is the Apostle Paul taking an oath? Think about what he's doing. He says, God is my witness of how I constantly pray for you. Why would, why would Paul take an oath here? Because he had never been to Rome, and the Roman Christians had never been with him. They did not know each other. They would have no way of knowing firsthand that every time he prayed, he prayed for them. He was being truthful. He's saying, look, I constantly pray for you, and God is my witness. This is true. He says, you wouldn't know this from being with me. You wouldn't know this from hearing me pray, but God is my witness. And God can tell either one of us. God has witnessed from heaven that every time I get down, I pray for you. I'm, I'm praying for you constantly. He can bear witness to the truth of what I'm saying. Paul says God is his witness. And he says, the same God who can witness that I am faithful in prayer for you, this is the God that I serve from my heart. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. Okay? Um, he's basically saying I serve from my heart. I serve from who I Everything that I am. He's indicating the nature of his service here. I serve God in my spirit is what he says. It's like the depth of my being with everything I have. My service of God is not superficial or external. My service of God is honest and genuine and I do it with all that I am. I'm not serving God to try to get people's attention. I'm serving God because I love him and I care for him and I worship him. He says, you know, Paul says to the Corinthians, which, by the way, um, most people believe that Paul was in Corinth with the Corinthian church when he wrote the book of Romans. Um, Paul says to the Corinthians that they are to discern the body when they come to the Lord's table, to communion. That, that's not telling them that they need to discern some, you know, magical transformation of the elements into the actual body and blood of Christ uh, when they come to communion. What he's saying is, uh, when he says discern the body, he means that you need to discern the body of Christ, and, and you are the body 
of Christ and you're united to him. You're united to his body. His body is his people, the people around you, the people that you worship with. So another question, do you discern them? Do you love them? Do you have a special love for them? Do you care for them? Are, are you a family with them? Or are you isolated from them? Do you care about them on, on Sunday morning only with a, with a handshake and a, and a good to see you? Or do you honestly, genuinely care for them? Paul, with an oath, testifies to how constantly he prays for these people, a people that he had never met. And he prays for them because he loves them. And what we see in Paul is a great example for ourselves. To, to approach this and be thankful for the church and other Christians, even Christians that we maybe haven't even met, but certainly the ones that we do know, certainly the ones that we do claim to love, certainly the ones that we worship with. Do we really love them or, or do we just give lip service to these commands? Do we really love them or do we just acknowledge that the Bible says we have to love one another so I'll say that I do, even though that's not really love. It's just happening, you happen to be at the same place at the same time. The third thing that we notice in verse 10 is that Paul actually prays according to the Lord's Prayer. I know I've said this several times, uh, the Lord's Prayer, what everyone calls the Lord's Prayer, I don't like to call the Lord's Prayer, it's the disciples' prayer, Christ is teaching us how to pray, but here I am calling it the Lord's Prayer again. Um, all right, so what we have is uh, verse 10, you'll see that Paul prays according to the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer, and, and he's referencing, thy will be done, Okay? And that's what we see, verse 10. Always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Paul's saying here his desire to come to, to Rome and to be with the Roman Christians, but he does so with uh, kind of an intentional submission to God's will. Paul makes clear that he really does want to come to Rome. He really does want to visit this church. He really does want to meet them and greet them and, and, and teach them and, and minister to them and be ministered by them, right? He really wants to do that. He prays that God would bring him to the Roman Christians, but he is entirely submissive to the will of God. He wants to get there, but only by God's will. Now, we have to pause again and think. Paul has no idea when he's writing this word, at least I, I don't think he has any idea, when he's writing these words, how he's actually going to get to Rome. Paul did go to Rome, but do you know how he got there? You know how Paul got to Rome? He got there as a prisoner. That's how he got there. Uh, he was chained up, and he was a prisoner, and he had to plead his case before Caesar, and if he lost, then he also lost his head. Right? That's essentially how Paul gets to Rome. Right? So that's how Paul got to Rome, and he was thrilled because God had given him a burden to be with those Roman Christians. He was thrilled to be in Rome, and he was entirely submissive to the will of God. And I want to say um, that Paul gives us a model for submitting to the providence of God in our own lives and in prayer, no matter what. Okay, so first, Paul trusts God's providence, all right? Paul does not question that God is in control. He knows that the only way he's getting to Rome 
is in accordance with the will of God. If God does not want him to go to, to Rome, he's not going to Rome, okay? But the next thing we see is that trusting God does not mean passivity. It doesn't mean sitting back and just waiting for everything to fall in place. It doesn't mean you, have, you sit there and do nothing until all of a sudden everything is done for you, okay? Because that's not what Paul did. Paul did not passively just sit back and say, I want to go to Rome, right? In fact, um, in fact he, he tried to go to Rome. He, he tried intentionally to go, but God blocked him several times. In fact, we're going to see in, in this book that Paul had really numerous occasions tried to get himself to Rome, but the Lord said no. I heard a pastor who said, he said, you know, uh, we talk about the Lord closing doors, and when we talk about the Lord closing doors, uh, a lot of times it's, well, the Lord closed the door on, on that, that, and what we kind of mean is we rattled the doorknob and decided that the door was closed. We, we went up and we just kind of shook the door and it didn't swing open right away for us, so, so we just sat back and did nothing. And this pastor said, you know, the Apostle Paul didn't take that approach. When the Apostle Paul came to a closed door, he tried to kick it down three or four times before he decided that the Lord had closed it. That's a good way to describe it. When, when, uh, I don't know why, but in Christianity today, especially American Christianity, evangelical Christianity, when things get difficult, we automatically say, you know what, the Lord's not in it. I, I guess we shouldn't do it. That's what we say. When things get hard, I, I guess the Lord closed the door. Now look, I'm not saying that God doesn't close doors for you, but what I am saying is just because God calls you to something doesn't mean it will be easy. And just because God calls you to something doesn't mean he will do every single thing for you, okay? So uh, if, if things are difficult, that doesn't mean God didn't call you to it. Now, I'm not saying be disobedient, but what I am saying is be faithful. Because that's exactly what Paul did with Rome. He tried to get to Rome in numerous ways. He prayed continually that God would get him to Rome. And finally, in the end, the Lord got him there as a prisoner. Obviously, not how Paul would have preferred, but it was with accordance to the will of God, so, so be it. And then the third thing we find is to be completely submissive to God's providence. That's the third thing we need to learn, not, not just that, uh, that Paul trusted in God's providence, not just that he was, uh, that he was active uh, even though he trusted in God's providence, but also that he was uh, submissive to that providence. There are many of you here today in difficult situations, and, and I totally understand that. There are health concerns or, or maybe, a, maybe a family member, a family issue, or maybe a job or, or a horrible difficulty in your, you know, in your life, in your marriage, or something along those lines. Those kinds of circumstances, it's difficult to believe in both the goodness and the providence of God. And there's a temptation to spend so much time on asking, asking God, what in the world are you doing? I don't understand this. That you forget the goodness and the providence of God. When life gets hard, when life gets confusing, when life gets painful, we forget that God is good. And we forget in God's providence. We forget that he has a plan. And, and Paul doesn't do that in this prayer. He, Lord, I, I want to be in Rome, but I, I want to be in Rome by your will. I want to be in Rome if you want me to be there. And this is an incredible model for us. The, just these three verses is an incredible model for us. Even, even just this tiny little prayer report of how the gospel changes a person. 
how transformation takes place. What we find in the Apostle Paul is a changed man. This was a, a Christian killer, a murderer. And in these three verses, you see that the heart of this man, that the Holy Spirit absolutely changed. This is not just an apostle. He's a Christian, just like you, just like me. He's absolutely transformed. And because he's a Christian, he was full of thankfulness. He knew exactly where he was. He knew exactly what he deserved. But he also knew exactly what he received. He received grace and mercy and forgiveness. And because of those things, because he was so radically changed by the gospel, he loved other Christians. He cared for other Christians. He was encouraged by the faith of other Christians. And he wanted to go visit them, and he, he wanted to continue ministering, but he was not willing to force it. He was willing to sit back and say, God, I want to do this, but I want to do it by your will. I want to do it according to how you would have me do it, in the way that you would have me do it. And if that means, if that means it's difficult, if that means life gets hard, then I'll praise you anyway, because you're worthy of it. What we have in just these three verses is an incredible example in the Apostle Paul. We're going to see plenty of theology and plenty of, of instruction later, but the point is what we see in Paul is not just a perfect example. of, of we, we can look to Christ in the Gospels and say, I want to be like Christ. And we can look to Paul and say, man, he, he's a Christian I can follow. He's a man of incredible faith, a man who was transformed by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for this morning, and, and we thank you for, God, we thank you for your church. We thank you, that, um, we thank you that you are a God who is gracious, and you are a God who is patient, and you are a God who is merciful. God, we know that, that we need those things to come before you. We need your mercy. We need your, your grace. We need to be saved by you. Because without you, we're nothing. Without you, we have no hope. Without the person and work of Jesus Christ, we're surely condemned. Father, we thank you for your church, for this church, the church that you have brought together to worship together today. God, we pray that, that we would be faithful, that we would be excited about worshiping you. We pray that we would be uh, thrilled at the opportunity to minister to one another and to our community. God, we pray that we would do it all for your glory and focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we worship you. And we pray these things in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.